If you have your Bible this morning, look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be in verses 1 through 17 together, looking at five benefits of Scripture. You know, being the first Sunday of 2019, I don't think there's any better place to start than the foundations of what we believe. What we as a church not only uh, proclaim, but what we live out, what we teach, what we share in unison together. So over the next six weeks, starting with this week, we're going to be looking at our six core beliefs as a church. Now, we're not going to go in detail over all six of these core beliefs, but instead going to kind of hit a broad brushstroke of application as it relates to these six beliefs we have. If you're curious what our six core beliefs are, you can go and find them on our website, fbcrobinson.com slash beliefs. Not only that, uh, there's six kind of summary beliefs we have there, statements of what we believe. Uh, And then uh, underneath that is a link to our entire, I think it's somewhere around 39 section part statement of beliefs. So if you want to see a detailed a statement of our beliefs, you can look at the more detailed uh, passage here as well. But I want to share with you just what our six core beliefs are this morning, and we're going to focus on uh, just one of them. Now, our six core beliefs are the Bible is the Word of God. That's where we start, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. We also believe that salvation is only through Jesus Christ, not some other means. There's only one way to receive salvation. We believe that God alone is eternally perfect, meaning He is eternal, has always existed, and He is perfect. Everything He does is right. We believe that man is created in God's image. So God made man special and unique with an ability to have a relationship with Him. We believe that our church exists to serve, to serve those who are outside of our church and to serve each other within the church. And finally, we believe that Jesus Christ will return, that there is an ultimate judgment, and that when Jesus Christ returns, he will bring all things back to him and separate those who are with him from those who are against him. So we'll be looking at these six beliefs over the next six weeks, but we have to start somewhere. And we start with this belief that the Bible is the word of God. Now, this one is first for a reason. This one, above all other ones, we have to believe, or the other five don't make sense. I'm going to go ahead and let you know that all six of these are found in the confines of Scripture, and Scripture alone. A part of what we believe, with the Bible being the Word of God, is that it is the only source of God's truth. We cannot find God's truth outside of the Word of God. So if we dismiss the Bible as being God's revealed Word then we have no basis to believe that salvation is only through Christ, that God alone is eternal and perfect, that man is created in God's image, that our church exists to serve, or that Jesus Christ will return. We have to get the first thing first. And so this morning, I'm not going to go into all of the details of why we believe the Bible is a word of God. Instead, I want to give you some practical application, five benefits we receive when we study the scriptures. I want to answer the question, why should I read the Bible? Why is it important for me to know what the Word of God says? Why do I even bother wasting my time unless there is something God is trying to do through us, through His Word? 
And so this morning, I'm going to read 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read all 17 verses. The last two are somewhat familiar verses and two that we're kind of going to focus on throughout the duration of this message. But I want to read the, the entire passage because it, it helps us to see the context of what Paul is writing to Timothy about the Word of God. So let's start in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers uh, of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Now, as we read these first few verses of 2 Timothy chapter 3, do you think that this is a fair description of what our current culture might look like? Now, I will say this. Some of you are nodding your head yes. Some of you are going, it's kind of a doomsday passage there. The one that strikes out to me the most. Now, this is, this is one that I love pointing out. Let, let's go back a verse in this long list of lovers of self, lovers of money. They're, they're in uh, a long list. There's one in particular that, that strikes me. And tell me if this isn't prevalent. Disobedient to their parents. Hey, you two down here in the front, is this one that you guys struggle with sometimes, maybe? Never, right? This is just one. This has gone on forever. We were disobedient to our parents. Our parents were disobedient to our grandparents. But this is a great description of our culture now. Lovers of self. Boy, you could stop right there and nod your head and say, that's what our culture seems to be about, isn't it? There are slogans you hear on commercials, right? Have it your way. You know, it's, it's made just for you. This is something that is personalized for us. Lovers of money. It, doesn't greed seem to be a prevalent part of our culture? It, it surprises me at how big the lotto has become. Now, the lotto has always been big in millions, but now it's billions. With this idea of, if I spend a dollar here, I might win a billion dollars later. If I, if I throw away some of my money on this chance, maybe I'll strike it rich proud, arrogant, abusive, and so on and so forth. I think this is a great description of these last days that we are living in. Now, there doesn't mean that we have a doomsday approach to our culture, that everything is wicked and evil and horrible and, and there is no redemption. On the contrary, what Paul is writing to Timothy is, while the world lives this way, you do not. There's something different about believers in Christ. So let's continue reading. For among those there are those who creep into households, capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. There's your key. Oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, 
my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra, with persecution, of which persecutions I endured, yet the Lord, uh, from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Do you hear what Paul is, is saying here? The issue has been, all of these sinful actions, is that they oppose the truth. But Paul says there's a contrast. You have followed the truth. You've listened to what I've taught you. You you followed my aim in life, which reflects Scripture. You have uh, been on a path that is following the truth of God's Word. And then in this particular verse, those who live a godly life can expect persecution. It's hard. But those who do not follow the truth will simply go from bad to worse. We can't expect those who don't have the Bible as their truth to have any improvement. They will continue being deceived. Paul begs Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. There's the link from truth to the Bible, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. So this whole chapter then builds up to these last two verses. Don't fall into the folly of the world, rejecting the truth. Instead, remember the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ, because all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. As we come to this this passage, this key passage that we're going to be really focusing on this morning, we have to know where Paul is coming from. He's not just throwing it out there. It's a good idea to read the Bible. It's not that there's a requirement that we be obedient to God, and so we have to read X number of chapters a day. It's not busy work. It's not as if God said, I know what will keep people busy for their entire lives. Let's give them 66 books with multiple chapters in each book and tell them that they have to read it over and over and over again. That will give them something to do. Instead, Paul says, you see the problem with our culture and with our world. You see the direction that things seem to be going. You see that in those last days or in these days that there are people who are, are lovers of self. They have taken their eyes off the truth. But you as a Christian, you as a believer, have to know where to look. You have to remember the sacred writings. You have to realize that if we don't have the truth, we are going to go down the same path of destruction. And in that context, Paul reminds us that all Scripture... All of the Bible is breathed out, literally inspired by the very words of God. And it's profitable. It has a benefit for you for several things that we're going to look at this morning. It's in light of this chapter that I want to look at five benefits that Paul gives us in Scripture. Now, four of them are really obvious. We'll find really quick. And the fifth one is the most important one that if we don't have the context, we'll miss altogether. 
So this morning, look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 3, specifically verse 16, at these five benefits that Scripture gives us. The first thing Scripture does is it gives us teaching. It teaches us. And that's exactly what we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16. It's profitable for teaching. Now, if you're one who's taking notes in your bulletin, and I hope you are, you can probably go ahead and fill in those next three as well just by reading the passage on your own. We'll get to them in a minute. Let's focus on this idea of teaching. What does Scripture teach us? We're going through in our Sunday school class, uh, beginning with Genesis and going to finish with Revelation. Many of you have done this with some other curriculum. We're going through the whole of Scripture, and we're asking, what is it teaching us? One thing that we've had to make very clear as we start to look in the book of Genesis at creation is that the Bible is not teaching us as a history book teaches us. The Bible is not teaching us as a science book teaches us. The Bible is historically accurate. The Bible is scientifically accurate. But its purpose is not to help us to know algebra, right? It's not a textbook. The Bible is teaching us something very specific. And while every word of it is true historically, scientifically, and even mathematically, the purpose of it is to teach us right from wrong. When the Bible says it is teaching, it is explaining to us what is right and what is wrong. And this occurs all the way from the beginning of the Bible. There are certain rules and laws that the Bible reveals to us. Some of them are obvious to our own consciences, uh, such as, uh, thou shalt not murder. Uh, We might not have need that written down for most of us to know that that's a sin. Uh, But some of them we, we wouldn't know are wrong unless someone pointed them out to us. So we have things like the Ten Commandments that give us ten rules and ten laws. The first five books of the Bible are actually called the Law of Moses. It gives us what is right and what is wrong. The entire Old Testament shows us Israel grappling with these laws and trying to figure out what is right and what is wrong. Most of the time, we're going to find out, they do it wrong. Jesus himself in the Gospels is expanding on and explaining the law. What is right? How are we supposed to live? What does God expect of us? What is God wanting us to do? The Bible teaches us what is right. It gives us a standard to live by. Now, we all have standards that we have to live by, whether it be at school or at work or whatever sphere of life we live in. But there is only one true standard for morality. Our culture will tell us different. Everybody, our culture says, has their own standard of morality. I can decide what's right for me. And this may work on a personal level for that individual, but it doesn't work for the whole of creation. We need a set standard. We need to know what is right and what is wrong. Without that set standard, what keeps any of us from deciding what is best for me is lust. That is what's best for me. What is best for me, whether it impacts you or not, is murderous anger. That is what is right for me. What is right for me is is something that may harm you, but, but my standard says it's okay. Even in our own society, we have a standard of law that the government gives before us. We understand there has to be some standard set, and the Bible reveals to us morally and spiritually what that standard is. 
Romans 7, verse 7, explains it this way. If, I had not known, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. The Bible points out what is right and what is wrong. Without the word of God, we have no excuse for our behavior. We don't know what we're supposed to do. The Bible teaches us right from wrong. The second thing the Bible does for us, it not only teaches, but it offers reproof. The Bible offers reproof. That's kind of a a fancy word that we're going to look at here in just a moment, but let's see what Paul says. The word of God, scripture, is breathed out and is profitable for teaching and for reproof. Now, this word reproof means the Bible points out what is wrong in our lives. Have you ever read a passage of Scripture and it's been convicting? Like you just didn't like reading it because it reminded you that you're doing something wrong? Just this past Wednesday night, there was a particular book that got brought up and someone said, I don't like that book. And it wasn't that they didn't like it. It's that they didn't like how they felt after they read that book. It was convicting, right? I read it and I realized I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. Well, the Bible does that to us a lot. Over and over and over again, the Bible is pounding in our heads that we are sinful creatures. Now, does this make you want to read the Bible more? Anybody in here go, I can't wait to hear everything I'm doing wrong. I want to pick up the Bible so that it can tell me how much I've messed up. Can I tell you, if that's all the Bible did, I wouldn't need the Bible. I'm married to someone who helps me with that, right? How many husbands can give me an amen, right? The Bible, though, the Bible tells us what is right and what is wrong. And then it tells us we're doing it all wrong. It tells us of our failures. And it gives us example after example of people who have failed just like we have failed. How many of these individuals can you identify with in Scripture? Adam and Eve had a thirst for power. They wanted more and felt like God was holding something back. Have you ever felt like God was holding something back from you? That you could be more if you just could do what you wanted to do. How many of us can identify with Moses and his anger as he sees some injustice and instead of handling it appropriately, lashes out and goes as far as to commit murder? Now, hopefully none of us in here can identify in the murder, but we can identify in the anger. It's just not fair. It's just not right. And we lash out angrily how many of us can identify with king david and his sin of lust as he peers at another woman who is not his wife who is married to someone else and desires her and acts in such a way that is is despicable so much so that he commits adultery the bible reminds us that we have a heart like david as well how many of us identify with the entire nation of israel who don't find God enough for them and have to worship other idols. Now, we may not have images of gold, but we have things in our lives that we turn to and worship because our God just isn't enough in the moment. How many of us can identify with Judas and his greed? Although he was one of the disciples of Christ and had a a relationship with Jesus himself, desired money more than he desired his relationship with Christ. How many of us have turned to the idol of money and greed? As we read through scripture, we see person after person after person, and we say, my heart is just like their heart. 
As we read scripture, it reminds us that just as there are sinful people in the Bible, we are sinful individuals as well. And the Bible reproofs us. It shows us that what we're doing and how we're living is wrong. Romans 3.23 makes that abundantly clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible is a reminder to us that what we are doing is wrong. Now, before we look at reproof and start to think that this is a depressing part of Scripture, this may be the most glorious and loving part of all of Scripture is the reproof. Because how many of us want to continue to live a life that leads to our own destruction? How many of us want to continue down a path ignorantly that eventually will lead us to death? The Bible points out that we don't have to live on that path. What we are doing is wrong, certainly, yes. But the reason why it's pointed out is because the Bible also offers correction. The Bible gives us the the problem, and then it gives us the solution. And that's exactly what Paul writes to Timothy. It's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof. And it's also profitable for correction. You don't have to live that way anymore. So if, if teaching tells us what is right and what is wrong, reproof tells us that we're doing what is wrong, correction explains how to make things right. The correction explains how to make things right. Now we're going to get into to the details of this here in just a moment. But the ultimate source of correction that scripture gives us is the cross of Christ. Romans 6.23 tells us the reproof, the wages of sin is death. But the correction, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now we see the Bible giving us not only questions but giving us answers and solutions It gives us a new direction to take. The Bible offers correction to our hearts, correction to our lives, and helps us to be on the right path, the path that God has created us for. The fourth benefit we have from reading Scripture is that it gives us training. It gives us training. And that's what 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us again, straight from Scripture. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now there's a lot of commentaries that that go back and forth in debate on this phrase, in righteousness. Does in righteousness apply to training only, or does it apply to all four of these? Does the Bible teach us in righteousness, reprove us in righteousness, correct us in righteousness, and train us in righteousness? And we can debate all day, but I believe the in righteousness really is intimately linked to that training word. That it's purposefully linked to how God trains us. Because our reproof is not really righteous, is it? It's not reproving our righteousness, it's reproving our sin. Instead, I think this training specifically is teaching us and helping us how to continue to do what is right. How do we remain righteous? How are we called to live? This training is an ongoing, always teaching, always evolving us and morphing us into who God called us to be. And for what purpose? Why do we continue this training in the Word? So that, verse 17, the man of God may be complete 
and equipped for every good work. You know, if the Bible is only good for reproof and correction, then when we receive Christ, we're reproved and corrected and we stop reading. We're done. We have the answer. But if we believe that the Bible trains us on how to remain faithful, we continue to read so that we can be complete, mature, equipped for every good work. So these are four obvious benefits we get from this one passage. The Bible is useful. It teaches us, gives us the standard of right and wrong. It reproves us. It tells us when we're doing wrong. It corrects us. It offers an an opportunity for us to make it right. And it trains us so we can stay on the path. But there is a fifth, a fifth benefit of Scripture that really encompasses all four of these. It really is maybe only one benefit of Scripture explained in four ways that the context of 2 Timothy teaches us. Look in verses 14 and 15 with me. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Now what do these sacred writings do? Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you why we read Scripture? We read the Bible because it offers us salvation. Because the Bible is the way we learn of how to have a relationship with Christ, with God. All of Scripture is written to point us to one thing. Everything we read in the Bible is pointing and begging and pleading for us to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and have a right relationship with God. The Bible is not just busy work. The Bible is not just something we endure and get through. But the Bible is the very Word of God and it changes and transforms our life. Everything that we read introduces us to more and more about who God is and what His will is for us. And so these benefits we find in Scripture are not just to keep us busy, but to grow us, to sanctify us, and to save us. This morning, I challenge you to be in the Word, to put our faith and trust, not in the morality of culture, which which leads us to the first part of the chapter in 2 Timothy 3, but instead to remember the truth that God has given us and let it reveal to you your own sin, your own forgiveness in Christ, and your salvation. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it it reveals to us the standard of truth. Lord, I thank you for the judgment it shows that I am under in my reproof. Lord, I thank you that it points out my sin and offers correction. Lord, I thank you that it trains me on how to continue to live the life you've called me to. Lord, I thank you that your word reveals to us salvation. Lord, this morning, these five benefits have revealed to us how we can be saved. Lord, we have to acknowledge that that how we live does not meet your standards, that we sin. Lord, we have to recognize that that we need salvation and correction. 
Lord, we have to put our faith and trust that you will forgive our sins as revealed in your word. That you will train us and guide our lives as you've shown us you will do. And Lord, when we put our faith and trust in you to save us from our sins and to guide our lives, your promise is that we will be saved. Lord, this morning, let the truth of Scripture speak to us in this moment and in every time that we open it and read it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.